It was good to have some sunshine, and we enjoyed it the other day as we were sitting outside, and we had uh, we had the, the little outdoor stove that we have going, and in that stove, I mean, we were just chucking anything in there that would burn, you know, and it was just, fun. I love watching the fire. Anybody else like to watch fire, right? And you start out, you know, we had paper in there, and then we had some kindling and pine cones and wood, and there was just something about watching it sit and burn and consume. Fire is really good like that. It, and fire is amazing because it's so powerful that it can destroy. I mean, many of you are firefighters and you, you go to places where fire has destroyed. But amazing about fire that right next to our stove, we had a grill. And later on, we took meat. We took meat and we put it on that grill. But, but before we did that, we let the grill get hot and burn a lot of crud that maybe had been on there and, and make it sterile, right? Or I don't know if it was completely sterile, but clean. Cleanish, you know, you get it cleanish. It's refining that, and then we took and we put the meat. And this this fire over here is consuming and burning and destroying. And that same fire is used over here to to clean, and to prepare, and to make delicious something good. So fire is amazing like that because it, it can be used for destroying and for actually making good. And the amazing thing is, God is the same way. He's so powerful. He's powerful enough to destroy, and at times he brings judgment and wrath. And at the same time, that powerful God comes and uses that to prepare us and to present us and to make us what he intended. So we're going to see that today as God is continuing to show himself to the people of Israel. Now, they had been slaves in Egypt and were brought out by his power. They witnessed it as he brought plagues upon the Egyptians. And then he had parted the Red Sea and he's brought the people through on dry ground. And now he's put them down into the wilderness right at Mount Sinai. And as he brings them to Mount Sinai, remember that mountain was where early in the story where Moses had been out tending sheep. This is way before he went in to go bring the people of Israel. And while he's tending sheep, he sees a bush that's burning without being consumed, right? It's burning. And out of that bush, the Lord speaks to him and says, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to go get these people, bring them back, and you'll know it's me because you're going to end up right back on this mountain. So this fire was there. And it, it really presented a moment where there was a demonstration of God's holiness, And his presence. And Moses didn't die. That was pretty incredible. So Moses goes and now he's come back with the people. And there they are at the mountain. And we've seen that they're right at the base. And God's begun to give instruction, making a covenant, a relationship with these people saying, I'm going to give you laws and commands and you be careful to do them. And we're going to have this relationship. You as my people, I as your God. And they said, we will do all the rules. But as we witnessed, even in our own lives, We're not good at keeping rules. So what good was that covenant? The scripture says that the reason that we had that covenant that he made with Moses and the people was to illustrate the fact that we are needy. We need help. If left to ourselves, all we have is sin. And the Bible, even way back with Adam and Eve said, as a result of sin, we are doomed to die. We need help from dying. And sometimes we don't think we need help. So God puts into this relationship a sign for them to need help. And he's using that to say, I'm going to break you down to this moment where you understand that in order to be with me and me with you, I've got to clean you. I've got to do this work in you. There's another covenant. There's another relationship I made with a guy named Abraham, and I made him a promise. And I'm going to fulfill that promise. So let me show you that you can't do it on your own. You need me. 
I will do this for you. So he's setting up all that. And now they have made this covenant. They're sitting by the mountain. We're going to pick up the story. This is Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse 15. It says, then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So here they are at this mountain and Moses goes up there. He's there for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord begins to speak with him. But it says that as they looked at that mountain, when the, the glory of God descended on that mountain in that cloud, within that was also the demonstration of fire that is consuming the mountain. Now, the word there is really interesting, uh, devour. I can't even pronounce it in Hebrew very well, so I'm not even going to try. But it really means this, to eat to consume and devour. And so it looked like it was just going to overtake this mountain, yet the mountain wasn't consumed. God was showing his presence on that mountain. The people had come out of Egypt and they're getting closer and closer to the presence of God. And yet he had already told them, don't let them up on the mountain or they're going to die. So there they are. And, and, and it's a terrifying sight because he's a holy God. When you see something like fire, it's like, man, that could do some damage. There's also something in that that's we, something we need. And now the Israelites are seeing that. So what happens next? And next week we're going to go into more of this. But God is going to say, now I need you to build me a place to dwell with you. A tabernacle, a tent later on would be the temple. A temple is a place where a God is worshipped and they believe he dwells. And so this is going to be a dwelling place of God among the people. And he's going to give Moses the instructions. I want you to build it like this. It's going to look like this. I want the furniture to be like this. And in the very middle, this is how I want it to operate. And he's going to give Moses all the instructions. But in chapter 25, he says this to Moses. It's going to be like the pattern you see. What pattern was he looking at? And the pattern is this. The reality of it is in heaven where God dwells in the highest heavens. The scriptures say he is in the most holy throne room and there he is and then he has hosts that surround him and it's where god reigns and so moses sees the reality and god says now i want you from that pattern to make something that represents that on earth and so he's going to begin to to give him the instructions for that now i give you that because we're going to zip to the end of exodus and see what happens after they create this, uh, what God has told them to after they build this tabernacle. So if you would flip quickly over to Exodus chapter 40. And we're just building the story. It's like Bob Ross, the painter on TV, where he's just building that canvas, painting little places all over. And you can't see it at first, but as it all begins to fill in, it's just a beautiful picture in full. So Moses is up on the mountain. He receives the instructions the pattern and they build this thing. And so at the very end of Exodus, chapter 40, verse 34, after Moses finishes the work, it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up, over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they didn't set out till the day that it was taken up. 
for the cloud, of the, uh, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So Israel was going to move on from the mountain. He's taken them to the promised land, but you have a problem if God said, I'm, I'm bringing you to myself, but I've been shown this fire on a mountain. They couldn't lift that mountain and take it with them over to Israel. So he says, I'm going to travel with you. You're going to have a tent. We're going to go out in the wilderness and have some family time camping, but I want to be with you. And so this tabernacle is erected. And right at the end of Exodus, it says, now that fire is not on Mount Sinai. Where was it dwelling? Right in the midst of the tent. And they could see God's presence by the cloud and by the fire that was present at the tabernacle. When the cloud picked up and moved, they picked up and moved with it. When they would settle where God told them, there the cloud and the fire was. They knew God was with them and present because God was there and visible at the tabernacle. Now, this is important because from the beginning in the garden, God had a relationship and a presence with people. They had no sin. Once sin entered into the situation, a holy God could not reside with a sinful people. That needed to be fixed. In fact, the sinful people were escorted out of the Garden of Eden and there stood a cherub with a flaming sword. Again, fire. But there needed to be reconnection. There needed to be a way to make that presence of the Lord continue on. So they set out from there and as the tabernacle goes, there's this presence of the Lord being displayed. And yet they're sitting within a covenant that says, now you do all the rules and we'll dwell like this forever. But they couldn't keep it up. And they kept failing. They kept failing. And it wasn't the right covenant. And yet God continues to make promises throughout the history of Israel. For instance, there's this one that's really cool. In Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37, it says this, that I will take away your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And then I'm going to take my spirit and I'm going to, Put it in you. It's going to be in your heart. Now think about this for a moment. That already in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God is saying this law, these rules aren't going to make you live before me. It'll be like you're alive, but you're really dead. You've got a heart of stone. I need to make you alive. So I will do the work of taking out of your heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh. And then where did he say the spirit of God would be in the tabernacle, in the temple? No, in your heart. This was already being told that the ultimate way to have God's presence is to have him dwell inside of us. How could he do that with a sinful people? People throughout all of history have been trying to make a way to be presentable. Some of you, as you go out on your Valentine's banquet date, you're going to try to make yourself look presentable. But isn't it hard when sometimes you even sit with the person who knows you best and you get on your cleanest clothes and you've ironed them out and you've you, you've made it really special. And you sit and yet, you know, that those clothes maybe don't hide all the stuff in which you've offended that person with, does it? Something has to be fixed in that fixed in that relationship. You can't just put on the clothes and make everything. Look, something's got to be right with the heart, right? And so with God, he says, you can't dress yourself up just in going to church. You, you, you can't just put on the clothes of giving more offering. You can't just pray and think because of what you've done, you've covered all your sin. You need to have a payment for your sin. That's why in that tabernacle in the temple, there was the slaughtering of bulls and goats, whereby the blood would signify the covering of sin. But this was the problem. 
You cannot exchange the life of a bull for the life of a human. This, again, was only following a pattern to show something that would be fulfilled later. It's like this. If you went down today after church and you said, I'm going to go to McDonald's because I'm starving. That guy preached too long and I'm ready to eat. You go down there and with their heat, they've made the perfect burger and you step up to pay for that thing and you decide you reach into your wallet and you pay with Monopoly money. Is McDonald's going to take your money? No, why? It's the wrong money. It's not the right currency. You've given them something. They say, we don't take that here. That cannot pay for the thing in which you want to eat. The same is true with you and your sin. You can't step forward to God and say, I'm going to pay with my good works. Also, you can't step forward and say, I'm going to pay with the blood of a bull and goat. What do you need to pay with? Human blood. Human life. Life for life. And so God and his plan is demonstrating this is not the way it's going to fix it. It's not because you're going to be able to accomplish it. I will do it and I will put my spirit in you. But in order to do that, I have to make a sacrifice for you instead of you on your behalf. And that will atone you and make you clean. And so what he did was he sent himself, his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he sent him in the flesh, not as a bull, not as a goat, not as a figment, not as a ghost, in human flesh. And the scripture says, he who had no sin because he was God, walked this earth and never did anything wrong so that by the time that he was murdered on a cross, his blood was being spilt not for what he had done, but because of what you had done and because of what I had done. Because as we go and we sit in God's presence, God isn't looking for us to be dressed up in our good works. He's not looking for us to be dressed in our church attendance. He's looking to see if we're dressed in Christ, dressed in his holiness, dressed in his ways, and what he's done. And so the scripture says that God did that. He sent Jesus Christ and Jesus died on our behalf. And the greatest thing is this, that according to the scriptures in the Old Testament, the promises said that the Messiah would raise after three days. And sure enough, Jesus rose from the dead, right? Now, I want to read for you what Jesus promised after that. That's a great story. But if if it doesn't have effect, if it doesn't cause change in people. Then it was really for nothing. So resurrected Jesus stands with disciples, people who had followed him for three years and he didn't tell them just go do good things. He said this, repent. And then this is what I'm going to do for you. This comes from Acts. Chapter one, verse five. He tells them for John, that's John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That word baptized means to immerse. A lot of people take it really literally like you got to dunk. The, the, the real essence of it is this, is that you will be completely filled and consumed and almost devoured by the Holy Spirit. He's going to be everything for you. I'm going to baptize in him. You're going to be plunged into me. And the scripture goes on to talk about how he comes and resides in our hearts. In fact, look at Acts chapter two, how this happened. Jesus told them, go wait in Jerusalem until I send the spirit for you and, and, and he will give you power. But look how it happened. This is Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's the, 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 the followers of Jesus. They all gathered together. Verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, filled 
the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here these Jewish believers are gathered in this room and God suddenly shows up and doesn't just do a magic trick. He fulfills all the promises of these people who have been cleaned by Jesus. And he gives them the spirit that Ezekiel and others had promised. And the visible marks that are incredible to me because it says that there was fire over their heads. John the Baptist had said in the book of Matthew, that Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is the same significance of the presence of God that had been seen in the bush with Moses, that was seen on Mount Sinai with the people of Israel, that was seen at the tabernacle as they went on together. But God didn't want them to just go to a tent. He didn't want them to just go to a mountain or to a bush. He wanted to have a relationship. And so when he made the people clean, it says that he sent his Holy Spirit so that now there was a visible presence of God on those new believers and he came and lived inside them so now you have this think about this I heard a guy say this recently it was brilliant no longer is there a tabernacle or a temple that we go to those who are believers in Christ are now mobile temples little tabernacles moving all over the place you are God's dwelling place people if you are in Christ And what that means is you now have the presence of God with you. He's with you. And he's changed you. And you are his tabernacle. You are where he dwells, his temple. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. This 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Friends, if you've been forgiven in Christ, you are no longer unholy. It said God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are holy. Doesn't that feel good to be set free? And there's times that you stumble. There's times that you sin. There's times that you offend others and offend God. You've done that. But as you stand before God, he sees you as holy because he's already washed you. And when he sees you, he sees Jesus having covered you with his blood and his Holy Spirit dwelling in you as the seal and guarantee that you're his. You are a mobile temple. And if God has done that in you, there begins to be this radical change that happens among the people of God. See, what what you really believe and what's inside of you, that doesn't stay bottled up, does it? When you believe and have things that are so critical to your being, it begins to overflow. And this, the, the, the Bible says that that overflow, as you are filled, the overflow of the Spirit and God's grace and that love, it begins to come out in the fruit of God. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and all these other beautiful things where you are a new creature and it just is flowing out of you. What I love is this. 
is God's power has gone from being something that could easily consume you in His wrath into using His power and grace to cleanse you and to prepare you as something that looks good to Him. Because it looks just like Him. We have this other thing that we do in the church that signifies this. Jesus told His disciples that as they are baptized in the Spirit, as they're changed, He also wanted that to be marked, that there would be a proclamation of that within people Telling the world that I am no longer my old self. I am no longer that guy that, that, or gal that just, just wanted to live for myself. But I now live for the king. He has done something in my heart. And I want to tell the world. And I'm going to do that in the way I love God and I love others. But I just want to make a statement. And Jesus said the statement would look like this. I want you to be baptized in water. I want you to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now some people have thought, well, if I, if I go and I get baptized in the water, that saves me. That's not what saves you. Just as much as circumcision did not save Abraham, rather he had already made a covenant with God, believed in its promise, and that was credited to him as righteousness. And then later God said, now as a sign of that covenant, I would like you to be circumcised. Just in the same way that my wife Katie, she loved me first and then gave me a ring to be the sign of her love for me. Just in the same way that some of these young folks, they love their ball teams. My friend Jacob over here, he's a big New York Giants fan. Okay, so some days he'll come around and we're, we're playing hoops or something. And it drives me crazy, but he's got his New York Giants uniform on because I'm a Seahawks guy. You know that. But what I know about Jacob is this, is you could take the uniform off on the outside, but, but nothing would change his heart. He's gonna, he, loves, he loves the Giants, right? I don't know why, but he loves the Giants. And so since that is in him, you can't rob that, but he wishes to display that on the outside, what's in there. In the same way, when, when Christ has done something on the inside, when his spirit is now dwelling, you are a mobile temple of his, and day by day he is changing you and causing you to look more and more like his character. That's his good work as he continues to prepare you. He also tells us to display that on the outside, and that's what baptism in, is. It's this inward work that God did that we are now displaying and proclaiming on the outside. And so not only have I witnessed in my friend Jacob his love for the giants, we are going to forgive him for that. And he has declared that Jesus has done something in his heart. And many of us, as, as we have gotten to know Jacob, have, have recognized that. And Jacob recently said, you know what? I want to tell the world that by being baptized. Can I do that? Well, yeah, your Lord commanded you to do that. And we would love to share in that. So at this time, I'm going to ask Jacob if he would come up here. And um, I, I always invite anybody who's um, going to be baptized if they want to, just to kind of give an opportunity to say how they came to faith and, and uh, what God's done in their life. So I don't know, Jacob, do you want to do, you want to do that today? So I think one of the neat parts of that story is <clears throat> uh, before he ever came to a building, he was interacting with other mobile temples. 
<laughs> and, and watching what God had done. And as he continued to be involved here, he witnessed and heard and learned who Jesus was. And, and um, it's hard sometimes to put words to it, isn't it? Um, but what I know is, is that you can look and recognize you know, that something has changed in this man. I, I've been able, at a, at a very close distance, as you've uh, played in our yard and as we've had opportunity at Bible Diggers to watch you go um, from a young man who you know, is growing in your, your body and your personality and all that stuff, uh, but to watch you spiritually go from a, a young man who didn't know salvation to one who knew salvation. What I love is, you know, maybe not a lot of you know that um, Jacob has a, a Jewish heritage, and to watch him just like come to life knowing that all those things were fulfilled in Jesus and how much, how much that has just freed him has just been uh, awesome. In fact, his last name, Cohen, means priest and trace all the way back to Moses. And I just think it's another just evidence of, of what God's done in you. From the beginning, he already knew you and he was planning in your life just to continue to reveal himself to you. And, and I love that now, as you are one of those mobile temples, it is blessing me and is blessing us to watch how God is working in you. So uh, we want to pray for you. And then um, as the congregation sings, we'll, we'll be dismissed to go prepare and we're going we're gonna to baptize you today, all right? So let's, let's pray for Jacob together. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful for your scriptures as we listened about Moses and the Israelites viewing your presence on that mountain. And that it wasn't your desire to just continue to reside on that mountain or within a tent, but that you would come and dwell in us. That was your hope. That you would dwell with your people and your people with you. And we're grateful that you made that way possible through Jesus and what he did on the cross to cleanse our hearts and to make the satisfactory payment through his blood in exchange for ours. And so, Lord, I thank you for that good news and how it's so powerful. It changes lives, not only the, the Jewish Christians and the early Gentile Christians throughout the scriptures, but, Lord, a young man like Jacob. Lord, I thank you for just the miracle that we have watched and experienced and how that continues to grow. <clears throat> and, Lord, I thank you for just the opportunity we have today to witness Lord, his proclamation to this room and even out across the world wide web as, as people watch, Lord, that there's a proclamation that, of what you've done in his heart and that he wishes to wear that on the outside as a sign. And so, Lord, we just we honor you with this. Lord, we, we worship you for your miraculous ways. Thank you for sealing Jacob with your Holy Spirit, that he has been enrolled among the assembly of those who will be in the reality of your presence forever and ever and ever. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our Messiah. Amen.